final hour of the Bill Michaels Show today. Be back at it again tomorrow. Enjoy. Eric Eager, by the way, of Sumer Sports is going to be joining us coming up here in about 15 minutes. Stay tuned for that. We'll talk with him. Uh, you kind of run around the NFL, talk to him about Jordan Love, talk to him about the uh, Green Bay Packers as well. We'll get into that uh, coming up here shortly. But uh, that being said, um, we were talking about Christian Yelich going into the top of the hour, and uh, the question was, you know, the Toronto Blue Jays, there's a lot of rumors floating around this time of year as to whether or not deals can get done and who they may want. But the Blue Jays, one of the guys that was mentioned in the rumor that they could be, not that they are, that they could be possibly targeting, could be Christian Yelich. And the question is, after the season he had, could he then be the guy that, you know, the Pack or the Packers, the Brewers end up trading, or would you? Or would you? Now, would you say, okay, let's get out from underneath the millions that's owed? Or the fact that if he ends up hitting 280 for the rest of his career, that contract then becomes rather cheap, in all honesty. Which would you rather do? That's Even if it's a possibility, it's rumors right now. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying it's a possibility. But don't forget, he also has a no-trade clause. Mark Atanasio likes him. Uh, so it would take a lot to pry him away from, uh, the, pa- or from uh, the Brewers. And would you do that deal? You know, then you got all your young guys in the outfield. You would basically bump away a good portion of that um, – a good portion of that uh, that salary, and who knows where you could put it, right? Maybe you find yourself the power-hitting first baseman or third baseman or both, right? Would you do that deal? And, again, it's just a rumor. It's, you know, this time of year, hot stove talk really begins to heat up, and then in January, things start to really kind of, kind of roll downhill into pitchers and catchers reporting in February. But would you do that deal? I – a while ago, Grant, I think I would have said yes, absolutely. Um, if if they if you don't have to pay a ton of that salary, I think I'd move Christian Yelich. Would you? Um, it's an interesting question. I mean, it would solve some of their problems, right? Because sure. right now he's occupying one of the spots in the outfield, and the Brewers have you know right. five or six outfielders they really like. It, it would be a little bit of a bizarre move I'm a little curious as to why the Blue Jays are so interested in acquiring Yelich um, I do think there's something to be said I think there's value in having Yelich as kind of the face of the organization a guy who's been here a while I think there's value there uh, and if we get you know the type of play we got from him last year I'm not really that thrilled with the idea of getting rid of him I like him right yeah he's our guy it's um it'd be a tough tough sell I mean business-wise I think I'd do it in a heartbeat just because you get rid of that salary, you do you do have guys now that you can fortify the outfield with. At least that's what you believe with the youth that's come up. Um, but the Blue Jays probably want him to play outfield and to be a DH because he can give you consist at least over the last year and a half he can give you consistency. But uh, the power numbers certainly aren't. You're not picking him up for the power numbers anymore. If he can give you twenty, if he can give you twenty five plus, that's one thing. But he hasn't done that in a while. Um, but I don't know I, if you're just taking them for the salary relief. I don't know if I'd be willing to do that at this point. Then again, like I said, if he hits 280 the rest of his career for that contract, then you got him at a bargain. You know, you got to think about that too. The woulda, coulda, shoulda, but uh, just an interesting thought.
That's it. Uh, and then the other one is uh, Will says, hey, did you see the Reggie White documentary? I did. Uh, I did see the 30 for 30 last night on Reggie White. It was – I thought it was going to be more football. It was a really deep dive into the religious side of Reggie. It got to be a little long. It, it, it just got to be a little long. I thought it was a tre- tremendously done. And, for, you know, from his son's perspective and Sarah's perspective, I thought it was, I, I thought it was magnificent. But it was I, – I mean, I know his, his faith. I know there was controversy. I get all of that. But it was all about how in the early part of his career, how he gained the pulpit that he had. He used football – as the mechanism to preach and then how he had kind of the reversal of thought on everything that he had been preaching to get back into Hebrew and to then almost relearn everything religiously, what he had believed to on a quest for what he deemed the truth. And then just when he really started to come to grips with what he was, what he was doing and the depths of which he was doing it, then he passed away. But it was, it was, uh, it, it was a deep dive. It really was. It was a deep dive into, into the philosophical side, the religious side, kind of what made him tick. And what I wanted to see was what made him great off the field and the enthusiasm and the passion that he had for the religious side off the field. I wanted to see what made him tick on the field when he flipped that switch because there was a lot to that too. And I hate to say this, okay, and I know in the end of the documentary he says what I want to be remembered for is a good father, a good husband, you know, and a man of God. I mean, that's, that's what he wanted to be remembered for. He didn't want to be remembered for the football. He wanted to be remembered as the person that he was. And you can appreciate that. But I wanted to see what made him great. And I guess the glimpse that you got was, much like with Michael Jordan, much like with Walter Payton, much like with Wayne Gretzky, Joe Montana, you can, you know, Oscar Robertson, what makes those guys great, what made Kobe great and, and such, was the passion. It wasn't like they did anything half-ass, you know? It was all. You're, you're, you're immersed in it. And you, you keep searching for ways to get better. And he did that with religion. He wanted to be better. He wanted to understand it more. Uh, but it was, it was great to see some of the clips of him talking about, you know, God wanted him to come to Green Bay. And, you know, then he admits, he's like, no, it was pretty much Reggie White. Reggie White wanted to come to Green Bay, which was, which was nice to hear. But it was all of that stuff. It was, it was a, I thought it was a really well-done documentary. But it was, it got long at the end. It, it got a little long. So I would have loved to have seen more of a mix. I mean, you got a little bit of everybody in there. You know, you got, you know, Brett was in there. A lot of his teammates were in there. Reporters were in there. People that covered him were in there. Philadelphia Eagle teammates were in there. So, but it was, I, I, I thought it was well done, but I thought that just got a little bit long. Almost like it got a little bit preachy. I hate to use that term, but that, you know. Did you see it at all, Grant? Did you watch it last night? 
No, I saw people tweeting about it. I couldn't turn off Bally Sports Wisconsin because I, I thought there was maybe going to be a, a fight breaking out at any point. Yeah. So, no, yeah. I, I watched the NBA and then I did some work things and went to bed. Yeah. But it was, if you get, if you, I, I recorded it. So if you get a chance to watch it, go back and go back and check it out. It was, it was good. I like it. I really, really did. But I just thought I wanted to see more of how he, because he was such a peaceful dude who then flipped the switch on when he hit the field and became this this larger-than-life beast. He just was, you know. So it was it was really, really interesting, going back to his days from Tennessee all the way through. So it was really good. 877-867-1670, 877-867-1670. If you want to find us, uh, please feel free. Go ahead and do so. Um, the uh, JD says, wow, have things have changed. Charge said the Packers-Bears game could be a win and you're in when it comes to the playoffs. Just a few weeks ago, we were thinking that the game could possibly be uh, come down to lose and you get the first pick in the draft. Right? J.D., I'd wholeheartedly agree with you. 100%. I, I'm right there. How? Now, part of it's Justin Fields. Part of it's the fact that the defense is playing a lot better for Chicago. Big time. Big time. Uh, when we uh, also come back later uh, at the bottom of the hour, we're going to hear some uh, some chatter out of the locker room. Jaden Reed caught up with uh, Mike Lemons. Also, uh, Jordan Love, we already heard from him. But he also heard from T.J. Slayton and Anders Carlson, which I thought was interesting. Mike caught up with Anders Carlson yesterday in the locker room as well. So probably got that some of that coming up. Paul, real quick, says, you have to do the deal if you can move Yelich. It's not just for him, but for the financials as well. He has the chronic back issue that is not going to go away and is only going to bother him more as he ages. And that's if no other injuries tend to crop up on an aging player. His resurgence last year was still only a silver uh, lining of what we paid for in that large contract. Or I should, excuse me, I said sliver of what we paid for in the large contract. Uh, the biggest thing you lose is if he uh, becomes incredible, he gets the eye at the plate again and the incredible on base speed that he has in the base pads. The Brewers have plenty of speed that we don't really use anyway, at least under council we didn't when it comes to stealing bases. That's Paul in Menasha uh, getting a hold of us. 877-867-1670. Let's do this. we got Eric Eager coming up after the, uh, after the break. We're going to talk with him about the rest of this team. So stay tuned. Also, Eric, um, he's got uh, – he, well, I take the back. He had some things come up. So he's going to come back. We'll, we'll hear from uh, all the guys in the locker room when we come back. Stay tuned. We're going to talk with Eric Eager coming up in about 20 minutes from now, but we will be talking with Eric Eager. Stay tuned. we got more coming up just after this. This is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Ho, ho, ho. Maybe it's cold outside. So where do I go? Come on, Santa. Go to Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Now is the time to replace your leaky windows and doors. You and Mrs. Claus can get your new windows while putting no money down, no payments, and no interest for up to 18 months. Unwrap this gift now, but pay for it later. More jingle that stays in my pocket. 
That's right, Santa. Plus, our elves install year-round and in as little as one day. Paula offers lines in luxurious wood to fiberglass and vinyl. Why not make a New Year's resolution today? That's the spirit, Santa. Hello, no. Pay later. Absolutely. Put no money down, no payments, and no interest for up to 18 months. But you have to hurry. Offer ends December 31st. Schedule your free consultation today at PellaWI.com. Certain restrictions apply. See show for details. Offer ends michael's show continuing on hey they had a really nice uh gathering on a social house they've got an ice bowl uh weekend coming up and it's not gonna be much of an ice bowl weekend actually but they're gonna open up the garage doors they're gonna have fire pits bring the outside in so if you're gonna head over there i think it's this weekend if you're gonna head over there this weekend it's gonna be like all outdoors they're gonna open up the garage doors just have a good time and kind of make it like a uh uh, a winter getaway, but it's going to be actually warm this weekend. But uh, the Social House on West Lisbon Road, Menominee Falls, great place to go. And like I said, they're going to do, uh, they're going to bring the outside in. So, yeah, they get, they're going to have some fun. They're going to do bags tournaments and fire pits and all kinds of good stuff. So stop over to the Social House this coming weekend on Lisbon Road in Menominee Falls. So uh, Mike Clemens caught up with uh, the, the kicker, Anders Carlson, who has – he struggled. I mean, uh, you know, he, he was perfect early on, and then since then it just hasn't been necessarily, uh, we'll say, great consistently. And he talks about the miss and that field goal on Monday night. It's just quick reset. Uh, I know what I did wrong there, so the fact of the matter is we got one just literally the same exact situation right after it, and, you know, was happy to put that one through. But, yeah, you want to you make them all. So learn from that, but also you got to play it uh, a little better next time. Anders Carlson, um, you know, like the sentiment of, of most on this team, from what I've heard, um, kind of feels the same. Like, you know, look, the Monday night game, they just let one get away. Uh, he said, but there's still plenty of time ahead, but they let one get away. I don't think anyone in this locker room was necessarily pleased with the way they played. I don't think it was an exceptional game for us at all um, on all levels. And, you know, for us as specialists, we know that. And so uh, we're definitely looking forward to a better game and getting back in the win column. So the missed field goal, I want to go back to that. Because there really wasn't a ton of wind in that in that stadium, there really wasn't. Um, it was windy outside, but not so much inside. So he was asked specifically, you know, look, with, with it, without it being the wind, the wind to blame, you know, what what went wrong on that missed field goal? I overplayed the wind a little bit in pregame. It was, it was really windy, and uh, I liked the spot I had, but I should have kind of noticed uh, the wind had died down. I, I had really good contact in the ball, almost a little too good, and it was just it was too uh, too far left. There you go. The wind had died down. That was one of the things that people were calling after the game. Like, it was windy early on, but then the wind went away. And it wasn't really that big of a factor. If I was a kicker that missed a kick, that that's what I would say. I hit it a little too well, actually. The contact was, if yeah. anything, I kicked it too strong. It was it too my, strong. Yeah. <laughs> that would be my I, excuse. <laughs> it blew a hole in the back of the net. It was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. Uh, he also said, hey, look, uh, th- this team being young, it's uh, it's it's growing pains. It helps them grow up. 
you know, I think learning from uh, the things you do, maybe not right the first time, but also I think there's advantages to it. I think we uh, we grow together quicker, and I think uh, we've gotten better quicker than maybe other teams have. And I think this team has a really good energy about themselves too. So, you know, I, I think that's going to pay off at the end of the day, uh, at the end, of, end of the road. And uh, I'm expecting, you know, big things for this team. Now, the, uh, the, the other thing he said was, you know, look, I, I missed that field goal. But, it, you know, being a kicker, you, you've got to have, like, a really short memory. It's almost like giving up a home run as a reliever. you got to get the next batter or the next outing. you got to come right back and get it done. And he did that. He came right back and hit the next kick. I walked off the field and knew I should have played it more down the middle. And so getting back on the field was almost like I kind of laughed at it. I was like, all right, here we go. <laughs> Trust the process now. And, and I put it through. So. so there you go. Now, T.J. Slayton on the defensive side of the football. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. One of the defensive linemen. I wish they'd come out and say we weren't in a good alignment. The defense wasn't called properly. Whatever, you know. But he did talk about, you know, hey, you got to put the loss behind you. You have to approach the next week. You'd be a little upset, but you'd have to be ready to prepare and have a, a, a positive mindset. And you do. You do. Uh, he was asked, um, four games left. You kind of feel... Like if you're going to make the postseason and really make sure that you're in the postseason, you got to you got to win them all. And he talks about that. Uh, you just got to be ready to play playoff football. That's how I look at it. For the next four games, for me as an individual, it's just like we need these wins. So uh, you got to come out ready to play, uh, be physical, and just uh, make sure we prepare. The other question coming out of the Monday night game was: Look, you know, we all know the focus was at least according to you know, guys inside the locker room and, you know, I guess Joe Barry, was they wanted Saquon Barkley. They wanted to contain Saquon Barkley. The one thing they forgot about was, oh, by the way, this guy named Tommy DeVito can run the football pretty well. He said, look, we did a good job on Barkley, even though Barkley got, you know, the short carries into the end zone, did a decent job there, kept him under 100 yards. The problem was they didn't really think the quarterback would hurt him that bad. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's what I would say when we look at the overall game where, like, people aren't, aren't getting that many rushing yards on us, like, from real rushing plays. Like, you know, the quarterback had three runs for over, like, 40 yards. So it's just like that's not that's not even the running back doing that. That's the quarterback. But we still got to stop it. But uh, it all comes down to, you know, rushing lanes and discipline. Yeah, it comes down to rush lanes and discipline. He's 100% correct. Rush lanes and discipline. So now the question is, four games left, you got about seven teams vying for a couple of spots, and a bunch of them sitting at six and seven right now. He talks about that. It is disappointing that we all don't we don't get the sex that we want or we don't get as many to win the game. But uh, it's football. Uh, they're ins and outs. Everybody knows sex come in bunches. So we just got to keep rushing during the game. It's frustrating. It's a, it's, it's a little frustrating, but you just got to keep rushing. So there you go. That's T.J. Slayton uh, yesterday. Mike Clemens caught up with him, talked to him a little bit. Got an email here from John listening to us at Howard. He said, hey, Bill, do you think it's about time the Packers invest more on offense and less on defense? Just concede the fact that they will always be mediocre on defense and load up on the offensive side to put points on the board. Try doing try doing to the offense what they did to the defense. Draft first-round offensive players instead of drafting more players like Gary Savage, Stokes, Walker, Wyatt, Van Ness. People talk about all the first-round picks on defense, and it makes me wonder how much better the offense would have been if they invested three or four of those first-round picks on the offensive side of the football rather than defense. That's from John and Howard.
That's a great question. I I, I never want to go into a draft saying this is what you got to get. Because if there's anything the first couple of drafts from Ted Thompson that had taught us was just get the best available player and the rest of it, there's a couple of things you can do. One, you can fill it in with free agent talent. The holes you can fill in. And then the second thing is, after you acquire really, truly the best available talent, all that talent starts to grow together, and it all comes to the top at the same time. You know, you look at Clay Matthews, and you look at the linemen, and Nick Collins, and Aaron Rodgers, and then you look at the guys that they drafted just prior to that, and the and the wide receivers they put together, and you know, just take best available. I mean, when you think about Chad Clifton and Mark Tauscher and Brian Bulaga and the big guys they had on that offensive line and the running backs they had, and then you take four and five and six wideouts, and they had an incredible offensive team. And they had a defense that was really good, and they fortified it with free agent, the biggest free agent being Charles Woodson. Bringing in A.J. Hawk, who was – Look, he, 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 was, he was really – he didn't miss. He didn't miss games. He wasn't first-round material type of player, but damn, when they needed him the most that, that season they won the Super Bowl, they got the most out of him. You know, and then you look at the guys that they piecemealed together up front in the trenches. You know, you look at Clay Matthews had a, an incredible year that year. And they should have been – they should have gone again, you know, in all reality. But when you put all that just best available talent together, that's what you can build. It's when you start reaching for positions. That's when you you don't do a service to your team. You know, it's almost like you want to, whoever drafts for you, you'd like them not to know anything about your team. Just study the best players. And as the draft goes on, take the best available players. And that way, by the time you give those 8, 10, 13 guys to your general manager, you're like, here you go. Here's the guys you have. Here you go. Here's the best talent that was available. Now you can go out and continue to fortify through the uh, through free agency. You know, that's kind of like what you like to be able to do just to fortify your team. I think too often when general managers get caught up dra- trying to draft for need, that you, in your mind, can build someone up more than what their really their value is. And also, here's the other thing: don't try to be the smartest guy in the room. Don't do that because there's times that people are trying to find that diamond in the rough that's going to turn out to be great that nobody else has looked at, and you're the smartest guy out there. You're ultimately, as a general manager, you make your mark on your team by winning, putting together a fortifiable team day in and day out, week in and week out, week out, year in and year out. It's not finding one guy that's a diamond in the rough, you know. So anyway, that's philosophically speaking, that's what I'm thinking. 877-867-1670. Stay tuned. More of the Bill Michael Show coming up right after this. Covering Wisconsin sports like a blanket, this is The Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.
Hear that? It's the sound of a winning December at Potawatomi. Play with your club card December 7th, 14th, and 21st. The more you play, the bigger your share of 400000 in reindeer rewards. And like a classic Midwest winter, the winds can really pile up. Dash to Potawatomi Casino Hotel, Milwaukee for your reindeer rewards. 400 grand worth. Learn more at paysbig.com. Must be 21 years old and a club member to play. Good to have you. The Bill Michaels Show continuing on. Eric Eager from Sumer Sports is going to join us coming up here in about 10 minutes. Stay tuned for that. Uh, don't forget you got Badger basketball that's moving up in time because they're making room for a Badger volleyball, which is kind of nice, you know. Volleyball taking the stage, and uh, the final four is what we're down to. So some good stuff there. What else? I, I can't even do the voice. I can't even do what do we miss. We got Eric Eager coming up in 10 minutes, but... I can't even do what do we miss. I don't have much voice left. You're powering through <laughs> what, it today. I'm impressed. What do we yeah, what do we miss? Uh well, thirty minutes ago the Pacers announced that they are signing uh James Johnson, who's been an enforcer, tough guy throughout his career. This is his fifteenth NBA season, and people are thinking, okay, well, they're not gonna get pushed around by the Bucs again. Remember the Pacers play the Bucks on January first and January third. So the Pacers, I'm not gonna say this is an arms race thing. But Giannis has put 50 yeah. on him now twice. They need some muscle. Okay. So they're going to go out and try to find somebody that's going to block the inside a little bit. Can you just see this thing in two weeks getting extremely testy? Um, yeah. You know, everyone wants to everyone wants to make a big deal out of this matchup because of the big game in the in-season tournament. I, I just think it's because they've played this team so many times now. And, and it's all been recent. So the Bucks, by the right. way, for reference, and I don't get this, Bill. They've played, they're 17 and 7, which means they played 24 regular season games. Correct? I, I'm doing mm-hmm. that math correctly. Right. They've played the Pacers three times. They've only played two Western Conference opponents. They played the Mavericks and they played the Blazers. They've played they've played the the Indiana Pacers more times than they've matched up with a conference opponent or a non-conference, a Western Conference opponent in 24 games. Right. So I don't really understand their schedule. And then they got the Pacers two more times. So they're gonna play the Pacers five times between the beginning of the season and and January 3rd, I think that's got as much to do with this as anything else. These two teams are just playing each other too often, too much. They're getting sick of each other. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And here's the other thing people brought up last night. Well, don't forget, you know, back in the day when, you know, it was Ray Allen and Big Dog. And, you know, they had a battle going on with, you know, Reggie, Reggie Miller and company. Because mm-hmm. Reggie Miller and company were always putting a dagger in them, knocking them out of the postseason. Nobody's left. The organization's been sold. <laughs> Coaches are different. Trainers are different. I mean, nobody's left from that rivalry. Yeah. Now, maybe there's a little bit of that lore that goes through the hallways, but beyond that, nobody's nobody's left. The, the, these that doesn't matter. These aren't I agree lore organizations either. Packers Cowboys has not been, you know, outside of I guess 2016 when they met in the playoffs. The Packers and the Cowboys have not played high leverage, meaningful contending playoff games since the 90s. Right. But that rivalry's still there because it's the Packers and the Cowboys. With all due respect to our Bucks and to the Pacers, it's not like these are two cornerstone 
super historical contending right. franchises here. Like, come on. Right. No, I'd agree with that. And, and I, you know, it's probably more because, and the only time it really became a thing was when Malcolm Brogdon left Milwaukee, went to Indiana, <laughs> and he just carried a little bit of a grudge. That's right. And it got a little testy there. But beyond that, there's, there's, there's not much to that. So as far as, the, I think it's just more familiarity and they're tired of beating up on one another and, you know. And, you know, Giannis is mean mugging on them, and they don't like it, and they're taking shots. at. But I will say this. Last night when they took Giannis to the ground, they didn't slam him. As he was going down, they held him. So he didn't really hit and bang his head or anything like that. It was it was a good foul. And I know people don't agree with that, but it was. He did not throw him to the ground. He kind of took him down, but didn't allow him to slam to the, to the, to the court. And I, you kind of appreciate that. When a guy's going down, and you're like, whoa, 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 I don't want to hurt you. I just want to hard foul you. I'm good with that because that happens all the time in the NBA. And it was a hard foul around the neck, but I like when guys foul Giannis like that, I think there's some give and take. And Bucks fans, they like to complain, well, Giannis doesn't get protected. Giannis also barrels through people all the time. Oh, God. So yep. th- there is a give and take. Like if Giannis is allowed to be extra physical and, and I think play sometimes football on a basketball court, then defenders should be allowed a certain amount of leeway to to play up to that physicality. That's not a problem. Right. And to be honest, Bill, I don't think Giannis has a problem with it. It was that Bobby Portis and Thanasis and everyone started coming to back up Giannis. I think Giannis gets it to a certain degree. He's not really been one to escalate things on the court too much. Uh, Before we break, do you got another what do we miss? Because I got one for you. Well, Just in case it's not yours. Packers injury update, if you need it, I can give it to you really quick. Reed and Wicks are both back in practicing. Now, Reed we expected, but Wicks, I I thought we heard high ankle. I figured a couple weeks, but he might be in line to play. Watson is not going to practice tomorrow, says LaFleur, so he's probably out. He's done, yeah. Uh, but Quay Walker also back on the field. You and Charter talked about that earlier. So I think, by and large, a pretty positive injury report. Did you see, before we go uh, to break, uh, Al Michaels will not call any postseason games this year? I did see, and now, and now we're getting some information that the relationship between Al Michaels and NBC wasn't so great towards the end, which I guess makes sense. Right. Yeah, that uh, they didn't explain the reason as to why, but – Last year, he was kind of like the – he was he was grandfathered in that, you know, he would call some postseason games, and he did it with Tony Dungy. But this year, they said, no, uh, we're moving on. Mike Tirico, Chris Collinsworth. Um, and I, I don't know who the other, the other uh, tandem is, but there's another set of broadcasters that are going to do another game. They've got three postseason games. But Al Mike – I did not realize Al Michaels is 79. He's old. Yeah. He, and he looked it. Uh, the last time I saw him at Lambeau Field, he looked it. That's what you said. Um, yeah. And and you kind of wonder. It's like you don't know anybody's situation. You know what I mean? You don't know what people have that, that goes on behind closed doors. Everybody's got a story. But I'm kind of like, Al, you, you do it for the love of the game. I get it. But Al Michaels, man, has been around for so long and has done so much. I'm thinking if I'm Al Michaels, maybe it's kind of like a shark. You know, some people feel like if you if you retire, you'll die. And maybe that's the way he feels, but he's earned the right to say, you know what? I'm going to ride off into the sunset. I'll talk to you later. I also, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I also appreciate when broadcasters reach a certain point and they're like, hey, I've had the opportunity to do this for a long time. It's time to let the next generation have their crack at this. Right. And Al Michaels seems intent on dying the booth, which I like, I get you get a, a national television. You don't walk away from that spot. I understand that. I do. Yeah, they paid him a boatload of money to go over to go over to Prime with Kirk Herbstreet. But, yeah, NBC is – maybe he just got cantankerous down the stretch. Maybe he just – he and, and he knew. He knew that 
they were grooming Mike Tirico. They, they didn't hire Mike Tirico and pay him all that money to come over there and sit behind Al Michaels. He knew. And they what they did was is they were hedging their bets, and when Tirico's contract came up, they had a decision to make, so they grabbed him and because he's good. He's a quality guy. And then, obviously, Al Michaels knew that he was about to be forced out. Very similar to the situation with Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre. We can go on and on. You understand it, and it became contentious towards the end. And so they've said, "Yeah, we don't, we don't need you back." So Al Michaels will not be calling a postseason game this year. Uh, let's do this. We'll step away, take a quick break. Eric Eager of Sumer Sports. When we come back, stay tuned. We got covering Wisconsin sports like a blanket. This is the Bill Michaels Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Ho, 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 I need a window. Maybe it's cold outside. So where do I go? Ho, ho. Come on, Santa. Go to Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Now is the time to replace your leaky windows and doors. You and Mrs. Claus can get your new windows while putting no money down, no payments, and no interest for up to 18 months. Unwrap this gift now, but pay for it later. More jingle that stays in my pocket. That's right, Santa. Plus, our elves install year-round and in as little as one day. Pella offers lines in luxurious wood to fiberglass and vinyl. Why not make a New Year's resolution today? That's the spirit, Santa. Pella, no. Pay later. Absolutely. Put no money down, no payments, and no interest for up to 18 months. But you have to hurry. Offer ends December 31st. Schedule your free consultation today at PellaWI.com. Certain restrictions apply. See show for details. Offer ends 12-31-2023. Welcome back. Good to have you. The final segment of the Bill Michaels Show before we get out of here today. Talk a little NFL. Our buddy Eric Eager, Sumer Sports, joining us on the hotline. Eric, how you doing, pal? Bill, I'm doing great. Uh, I'm excited to uh, watch some football this weekend. Yeah, you know, I am too because there's so much riding on the weekend. I mean, the Packers obviously stumbled in New York. I want to start there. So, you know, the, the, the question here that we're asking, maybe the outsider looking in on this, you can let me know what you think, but we saw them progress over four weeks. Pittsburgh, the Chargers against the Lions, and then against the uh, Chiefs, obviously only to stumble in New York. The question is, will the real Green Bay Packers please stand up? Maybe more so, will the real Jordan Love please stand up? You tell me what you think of his play. Yeah, I think he's very encouraging. Um, It's really tough, though. At SewerSports.com last week, I wrote an article about what his contract might look like. And, and, you know, I think when you look at him, physical tools are there. The toughness is there. I think, he, you know, especially when he was playing poorly, the second half of games is always better than the first half, which I think shows some grit. But, you know, there there are misses there. There are times when the offense sputters. And so it, you really worry about having to go and give him the 40 to $45 million. But I think with respect to this season, um, I think the Packers are still set up pretty well. Uh, they had, you know, a, basically a, a middle-of-the-pack schedule going, you know, going into this game. But they have the easiest, second-easiest schedule, I'm sorry, Per our, our website at Sumer Sports, uh, only the Eagles have an easier schedule left. So uh, I think that there's a decent path for them to still go ahead and make the postseason. And given kind of where the, you know, the, the, the three seed, maybe even the two seed in this conference is kind of struggling, uh, I think Green Bay is still going to be a team that's compelling in January. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I do too. I, I still think, and I've said this from the beginning, I think getting to the postseason, because at the beginning of the year, we didn't think that. I said maybe seven, maybe eight wins. You're on the outside looking in, but, you know, and who knows what can happen. But if they can get there and get that experience, considering nobody's left from that 2010 championship team, and they get there and get a little bit of what it's like to go on the road, what it's like to amplify when you get to the postseason, I think it would be great for them. No matter what happens, I think it would be great for them to get there. You know what I mean? Oh, I, I believe, yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, you think about the history of this, this franchise, Brett Favre in his first year, nine and seven, no playoffs, uh, you know, lost with a chance to make it in the last game of 92. Rodgers, that team was a pretty good team, positive point differential, but still six and 10, didn't make the playoffs in year one. Jordan, Jordan Love would be the first of those three quarterbacks to make the playoffs in his first year as a starter. And that's, you know, a big jump uh, for, for, for him in this franchise that stuck their neck out for him and, and waited on him uh, until this year. So, yeah, and I think it would it would really propel this team to the to an off season where there are some questions, you know, what you do with Bakhtiari and what you do with Aaron Jones and guys like that. Um, I think, you know, stepping off from a platform of playing, uh, you know, in a, in a fun game in, in, in January, I think that that would be uh, do a lot for the spirit of the franchise. If Love, say, performs the way he did against the Lions and the Chiefs, and that goes for the next four weeks, until they get to the postseason, and whether it's Philadelphia, the Dallas Cowboys, or 49ers would end up knocking them off, you would assume. So you tell me what that contract might look like if they decide to say, okay, let's go all in on Jordan Love. Yeah, so it, it's going to be tough. I mean, if I'm Love's agent, let's say, and then let's say they go to Detroit, which is another cool thing. Last time Detroit hosted a playoff game, it was Brett Favre's first career playoff start. The next time Detroit hosts a playoff game, it could be Jordan Love's first career playoff start. And if they go into Detroit and win, let's say, uh, much like Daniel Jones went into Minnesota last year and won, I think the starting point is that four-year, $160 million deal that Daniel Jones got from the Giants. Wow. Uh, you know, agents aren't particularly keen on saying, well, that one didn't work, so we're not going to do it. Um, they're, they're just trying to you, – they do comparables, and, and Jordan Love's a better player than Daniel Jones. So that's, I think, where it starts, and I think if a lot of Packer fans like kind of take a step back and look – um, that that was the risk of drafting a quarterback that you didn't intend to start right away because it, you only get so you know, a little bit of time to make that choice. But I think it's going to start there. And, um, you know, it, I think a better option would be kind of what Geno Smith had, which is three years, 75 million. But Geno Smith's 33 years old and, and you know, uh, and so a little bit later on in his career. So I think for Love, it starts at that 40 million mark uh, and, and just moves up given the, the going rate of quarterbacks. And we know that anything over 13.5% of the team's total salary cap, only one quarterback, and that was Patrick Mahomes last year, has ever won a Super Bowl in the modern Super Bowl salary cap era. So you got to really kind of watch how much money you spend on a quarterback versus how much money you can actually put around him, right? Oh, for sure. And I think with the Packers, it's even more of a situation like that because, you know, Jordan Love is playing right now with a lot of young players, which is obviously good in one way because they're inexpensive. But they're up against the cap, even with all those young players at wide receiver and running back and offensive line. And so if you pay love, that surrounding talent might even get worse, if that makes sense, from a position where it's already young, it's already inexperienced, it's already kind of inconsistent. And so that that makes it really tough. But to your point about the, the salary cap, it's like, it's not that these quarterbacks aren't good. I mean, Aaron Rodgers was a fantastic player for all those years. It's just the math of it is really hard. You have difficulties defensively. You have difficulties on the O-line. Uh, for all those teams other than the Chiefs that one year uh, when you when you can win a Super Bowl with a guy making all that kind of money. And, and you know, that that's what makes it really tough. I mean, you saw what happened to the Giants this year. Immediately after they paid Jones, things got a lot fairer for them uh, than they were the previous year. 
Let's talk about the best teams in the NFC right now because the NFC is very top-heavy. you got San Francisco, Philadelphia, Dallas. They're all sitting right there. And then after that, the Lions. Have the Lions gone back to being the Lions again, or do you think that that was just kind of the last few weeks or just a blip on the radar? It's tough. Like They kind of remind me a little of the Rams you know, a couple years ago where they're clearly not the best team in the NFC, um, but they, they have some ingredients that can win. Uh, in January and you know that Rams team if you remember they had a three-game losing streak kind of right around this time before they got it right and you know went on and won won the Super Bowl so I think that that's within Detroit's capabilities but there certainly are you know concerning things with their defense they're going to get some guys back James Houston Chauncey Gardner Johnson that should help they were better in the beginning of the year when guys were healthy than they have been now Um, and then on the offense you know, I, their play caller Ben Johnson maybe wishes he took one of those head coaching jobs last year because it's got it hasn't been as good for him. They they've been healthier on offense than last year, but they haven't been as productive. And you know, there's there's always the possibility that they find it here in the second half of the season. And you know, they have four games at home in or sorry, not at home, four games indoors, and then presumably a home playoff game uh, to get Jared Goff back on track. So I see a possibility for them, but they're clearly a tier below. Uh, you know, San Francisco, Dallas, and Philadelphia. So out of the wild cards, you look at Minnesota, you look at Green Bay, there's the Rams that are sitting there, Seattle. I can't imagine that Atlanta and New Orleans are going to continue to forge forward, but there's a whole group of teams that are still available. Who do you think, if they do get in, peaking at the right time, who is the most dangerous? You know, I I said the Rams earlier. You know, they've kind of staved off the injury bug to an extent, Puka Nakua, Cooper Cup, they're back. Kyron Williams is back from injury. Stafford missed a game or two early, but now he's back. You know, McVay is a terrific coach, you know, especially as the game calling. Um, we all thought that the kind of party was over for them this year, carrying all that, a lot of dead money from the Super Bowl years. But now that they've kind of reached December and are still in it, they're scary to me. I think that that running back out of Notre Dame, Williams, he's, he's a player, and, and he's been, you know, in our yards created metric a top 10 player and you watch him, you know, they ran the ball the first nine plays against a very good Ravens team the other day and were very successful with it. And they took that team to overtime. Uh, I think that they're the scariest among those teams. I can't see Nick Mullins going that far. I can't see, uh, you know, like you said, the NFC South is a complete joke this year. Um, and, and I do think green Bay has a shot for sure. They're in that mix with the Rams and those two teams. If you're looking at quality of a playoff, the Rams and Packers, I think are the two teams you kind of want out of those kind of lesser teams. Then you got the AFC, and let's start first and foremost with the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, we we kind of know what some of the problems are offensively speaking. They don't have consistency at the wide receiver position. It's all Travis Kelsey or nothing. Do they work this out? Yeah, Rasheed Rice has done okay. Um, he's not perfect. He's dropped passes and fumbled, but he's been productive. I know you guys have had experience watching Marquez Valdez Scantling play, and you know that he, you know, last year both in his conference title game against Tampa with you guys, but also. Uh, in Kansas City, he's capable, but he's so inconsistent that it's hard to, uh, you know, rely on him. And as you said, Kelsey, I think that knee injury and a lot of the, you know, the the extracurricular stuff, frankly, is slowing him down just a tad. And when you, when, like you said, your quarterback is making at last year, 17% of the cap this year, I think a little bit more than that, the margins are so thin. So if Kelsey declines by 5% and the offensive line isn't quite as good, you know, their defense is a lot better than it was last year. I think they do have a shot. The AFC isn't nearly as tough. You're gonna, they're going to dodge Herbert. They're probably going to dodge Josh Allen uh, in the playoffs. But um, they're, they're too inconsistent right now for me to, to look at them and say, hey, they're the favorite. I think it's a, I think it's a Ravens team uh, that, that, that's a favorite right now in that conference. 
Talking with Eric Eager of Sumer Sports at Sumer Sports. You can find his stuff, S-U-M-E-R. I want to go with the rest of the uh, the AFC because Baltimore clearly, they're the team that not a lot of people talk about, but they just continue to get it done, and now they're starting to peak at the right time. You got the Dolphins and what's going on there with Tariq Hill and company because I thought Tariq Hill should be at least in the consideration for an MVP this season, the season that he's had. But there's Jacksonville, there's Cleveland, Pittsburgh's hanging around, Indianapolis is starting to surge, Houston for what C.J. Stroud has done. That AFC is a jumble, man. It is, and they all do it kind of a little bit differently, to your point. The Ravens are really good schematically, defensively, and then they have a quarterback who can kind of elevate play. You know, Miami's uh, you know high-end scheme-wise, and at skill positions, their defense is now losing so many players, and the offensive line uh, banged up. Uh, Liam Eikenberg might not even play this week after Connor Williams tore his ACL, so uh, they went in a different way. The, the Bills are injured defensively, but I think they found a little bit of uh, of themselves against Kansas City. So, yeah, there are a lot of teams where you could wake up one morning and be like, holy buckets, the, the, the Bills are the best team, uh, even though they've been kind of waiting in the waters all this all this time. It, it, it is weird. I, I think that it's AFC, we came into the season, it was really unpredictable, and there was a lot of elite teams. There are fewer elite teams, but I think it's doubly unpredictable now than it was when we came into the year. Yeah, and mainly because a lot of quarterbacks have gone down this season and a lot of teams are waiting for their superstars to come back next year. Eric, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, man. I appreciate it. We'll talk again real soon, okay? Bill, you're the best. Take care. Thanks, pal. Talk to you soon. There you go. Eric Eager from Sumer Sports at Sumer Sports, S-U-M-E-R. He's the VP of Sumer Sports. You can read his stuff there. Grant, I can't believe it, but I made it. One more day in the books. I was just sitting here thinking, I this is as good as you've sounded all day. I think your voice has yeah. improved as the show's gone along. Yeah, so I made it one more day. Hopefully tomorrow's a little bit better. So we'll cross our fingers. Uh, we got a lot to go over tomorrow. We'll look around the rest of the NFL. Big games on the docket this weekend, too. We'll preview what's coming up on the weekend for the Packers and uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You've got uh, Badger basketball, volleyball tonight. You've got a lot of good stuff going on. Until we talk again, thank God I don't have to talk for another 20 hours. Until we talk again. Have a go.